Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organizations will need to manage, secure, protect and organize intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. Welcome to the Age of Trust podcast. Today we're talking about trusted retailing, the role of next generation technology in delivering strong customer experience. With the shift from in-person bricks and mortar shopping to more online shopping, retailers must continue to invest in creative and innovative customer experiences to capture revenue and offset lost sales. And among key priorities for retailers are scaling up digital, improving the e-commerce customer experience and operating efficiency. They also have to future-proof end-to-end operating models and progress supply chain transformation. I have with me today Brad Blythe, who's the Chief Information Officer at Kmart and Target. Brad comes to Kmart Group with more than eight years of IT leadership experience, most recently at Flybys, where he oversaw the wholesale Amazon web services migration. Matthew Wells is Global Solutions and Strategy at Verizon. Matt has spent seven years leading the company's CX practice across APAC and designed and delivered and consulted on CX across multiple verticals successfully. So we'd like to welcome both of you to the discussion today. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. So I think the phrase when we talk about 2021 is the continuation of what a lot of people talk about acceleration last year. So we all know that online shopping, omni-channel isn't new, but for every industry, there was an acceleration of some level of transformation. Brad, can you talk us through what that looks like in the retail space? I think you're relatively new to Kmart, but you'll have been part of what they've gone through and what they continue to go through. Yeah, I, I mean, prior to Kmart, I was kind of in, in the retail space of flybys in the retail loyalty program and then financial services before that. And, and the digital transformation really journey that I've seen specifically coming into retail has obviously been a hot topic that people have discussed. I think with the introduction of Amazon into the Australian market, really heated up the conversation quite a bit as an online retailer, an international online retailer kind of came in and started to show some presence. There was definitely a lot of discussion over, does this mean that shopping online is going to be introducing new competitors into the market that don't necessarily need or have an existing presence or, or the ability to scale up a bricks and mortar retail So that happened quite a while ago, but I think where it went a little bit benign was nobody saw a lot of traction in that space with the introduction of Amazon until really, um, obviously, the the pandemic and the COVID wave hit the industry, really forcing the the shutdown of bricks and mortar retail. And then with the changing consumer behaviour there, online sales definitely spiked. So what it did is it highlighted anybody in the industry, any organizations that weren't well advanced in that space, it really highlighted some gaps in terms of their strategy and their investment. And that's where you saw a lot of reactive nature and really that the investment ramped up, the focus ramped up because it needed to be. That's where customers were and that was how you had to now interact with customers. So if you weren't already playing or had a strong presence in that space, you needed to react really quickly with that. 
But it wasn't just the interaction with customers and the retail experience itself. But for Kmart Group, it was the whole end-to-end process from manufacturing a product and then getting that product distributed because we are a global player. A lot of our supply comes from international sources. Getting those products and dealing with the international manufacturers, getting it on a boat, getting it shipped around the country into a distribution center and then onto the shelves became much, much harder. And any kind of process that was manual or heavily reliant on face-to-face interaction really started to feel the pressure and fall over a little bit. So we really had to take a step back and have a look at just not our online presence in our portal but also every part of the business that was getting affected in that supply chain and distribution, as well as stock started to kind of run off shelves and things like that. I'm going to come back to some of the elements that you talked about there, but um, Matt, I'd be keen for what you're seeing. I guess what Brad's saying will stack up against what you're seeing in the market generally in terms of all those different areas that were under pressure very quickly to kind of respond and if people weren't already had a, at least a toe, if not a foot in the water, pretty difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think there'll be sort of broad categories of the maturity of the retailers in this area. And yeah, you'd have your leaders who were you know, ready or already had quite a, a good story around the omni-channel and the digital type channels. And yeah, that they would have been best positioned to respond to their clients' needs. And, and they did. So then you'd have you the middle part who sort of maybe had a bit of exposure in, in the omni-channel space and but still very much focused on the bricks and mortar. Uh, and then you would have had your laggards who you really didn't have any story going into it. So I'd say that there may have been a, hey, let's take three or four years to roll this out type approach, which happens a lot in corporate because there's no real pressing need to do something. Certainly what happened last year was, hey, we need to do this in weeks, not years. And I saw a lot of the businesses and the clients that I spoke to were saying things like, you know, it took us three years to get to this point where we might have had uh, 2 or 3% of our clients using this channel. And in the next two months, 80% of our clients are using it. So there's nothing like um, a critical event or a compelling event like what happened last year to force the change. And that's what you saw. You saw just a massive, massive change and the things completely turned on its head as opposed to a a gradual sort of move away from from something to another thing. So, you know, in the omni-channel space, I've always said that you can have multiple channels, okay? And most, I think a lot of organisations have that. A lot of you know, retailers have that. But omni-channel means you, you have a experience, you have a common experience across those channels and you can move across those channels and continue your transaction or continue your journey with the organisation you're dealing with. And I think that's just the, um, the secret sauce, if you like, being able to use that. And then I know we're going to talk about data a little bit later as well and the role that data plays. That might be a good segue. And Brad, I just want to talk about some of the things you talked about. So some of these supply chain things where you not actually have product, you know, on the shelves when you want to. You've obviously got a seamlessness of experience that goes and somehow informs the way people trust the organization's ability to operate, to deliver things, to keep their details. So how do you see it in your role? The trust, how does it touch all those different areas in terms of building a picture of how we trust well-known brands, particularly bricks and mortar companies? Yeah, and I think for established brands as such as the Kmart Group, you know, gosh, Kmart and Target, that story has been a little easier because we've existed for quite a while. And I think the power of the brands comes with quality and price understanding. So that's generated a level of trust in the brands and the companies themselves, which we've really had to leverage to move into the next phase of how we want to interact with customers in this online and data space. 
really for us, what we're trying to do is establish a one-to-one relationship with all our customers so we can better understand what they're after and make sure that we're front of mind for their purchasing behaviors and really meeting their needs. That comes with understanding them better and acquiring a level of their data. But with the change in regulation, there's really a sensitivity on making sure that customers understand that their data is being acquired and that that acquisition of data is in the customer's best interest. And so we spent a lot of time really shaping up a consent framework so that customers can agree to the fact that the data will be acquired and really understand that what we're trying to do there is make sure that we're not servicing products that they don't care about or are not relevant. We're trying to help them get to the things that they most value. And there's mutual benefit in that in terms of we can then optimize the amount of stock that we put on shelves or the amount of stock that we keep, the amount of range or lines that we keep, but also making sure that we're there for our customers and giving them what they need. I think you've raised an interesting point. We know with the likes of some of the social media platforms, people are prepared to give away a huge amount of information for a perceived value. And I guess sometimes it's harder for organisations to articulate what that value is if people just feel like they're having data used and they're not really sure of what the transfer or the trade-off is. Matt, so in your experience in talking to a lot of these organisations, that data challenge to make sense and meaning from it and the ability to digest and get insight and also the way that they're able to kind of articulate value back to the customers and the customer experience piece, what would be the tips there for people that are doing it well? Well, I think permission-based Collection of data is absolutely critical. It's opt-in, right? And at the same token, being able to explain the value of them opting in, you know, they're not just going to get an email every day offering something that they're not uninterested in, right? Those sort of blanket type policies. So it's really about knowing, getting to understand the client from or the customer from the retailer's standpoint and being able to add value to that client. So knowing what they're most likely to, to buy, when they're most likely to buy, and being able to offer them services at the right time that they're interested in, or products, I should say. But the power of data, it's not just from the selling point of view, it's from the the, the post-sales experience as well. So being able to buy something online and go and return it in store, or the other way around, buy it in store, return it online. There's a lockdown, you know, or something preventing someone going to the store. So the front to back and the end to end experience for the client and being able to have the data to know your customer, not only can increase the revenue and the you know, the outcome for the retailer, but also greatly enhance the, the customer experience, which is a circle and drives more revenue. I think that sort of maps back to what you were talking about, omni-channel before, and that people expect the same service or way of interacting with the organisation. I guess people, if they know that they've entered in personal details in some area, but they know that then they can expect to be able to walk into a store or have the same level of experience, that in itself, I guess, is a, a return. Absolutely. I think we've talked quite a lot about the omni-channel experience and obviously getting our mobile app out and present and promoting our website. We're trying to push beyond that as well as what we're calling contextual experiences. So having the experience consistent for us is kind of the ticket to play and that's where we need to be so that customers can access the right level of information kind of seamlessly. We really want to see if we can use the data to step up to what we perceive as that next level where you've got a truly contextual experience. In other words, more adaptive to the environment that you're in. So if you're at home and you're sitting on your couch and you're looking at some of the things that might match some of the purchases that you've already done or or some of the um, products that might suit what you're looking for, 
But then when you go into store, having a much more adaptive experience, that's, you know, we know you're looking at these products and we know that if you're after the, the lamp or the table, it's on aisle six and we help you navigate to those areas. So we're really trying to use the data and provide that value back through these contextual experiences, which would be the next layer that we're trying to push for beyond the omni-channel. There's a question for both of you. At 5G, we often hear about sort of where 5G is headed and retail often comes up about one, about how the customer experience will change, but two, in the way that retailers, bricks and mortar, getting closer to their customer, even from an infrastructure perspective. So I'd just be keen to get a sort of sense in the retail space, what the discussions are around 5G at the moment. Definitely of interest. And this is where, if back to the example of creating those contextual experiences, if we want people to be able to have a digital and physical experience, no matter where they are, so in their home and they're using the app to interact with what's around them, and then in store, still providing them with some kind of digital experience in that store environment, you know, connectivity to the internet is kind of base level capability that we need. And in a physical retail environment, that's quite difficult sometimes to get the connectivity at all, but to get the actual bandwidth that you need to provide some of these experiences. So what we're thinking is, you know, as 5G rolls out, it's going to open up more opportunities to provide better types of experiences than what we can today. So it's definitely fundamental to what we're trying to look at. It won't work everywhere because ultimately might not be accessible in every single location that we want it. So we're just complementing it with things like Wi-Fi coverage within the stores and stuff like that. But As a base level going in, internet connectivity, I'd make it more broadly. Every advancement that we make there opens up new capability that we can kind of tap into. Yeah, and certainly, uh, Corey, from our point of view, 5G is an area that we're invested a lot of resource and capital into. So not just in the US, but outside of the US where we build private 5G networks. Um, There's a large port in the UK where we've just been contracted to build a, a private 5G network for the port so that they can service the ships where the sailors can't come in because of COVID, so they can have high bandwidth internet, make real-time decisions in sub-millisecond type timeframes with the edge compute. So we'll sort of push the virtual machines to the edge of the 5G network. And certainly in, in retail, I've seen use cases where they've been able to do things like create heat maps. So in a retail store, you can just look at the image of the store and show the heat maps of where people have been looking. So if you have a particular product that you're showcasing at the front of the store, you can test the effectiveness of that, you know, that product or that stall by the heat map. And what 5G does is enables that really sub-millisecond uh, response time and the throughput that, uh, that Brad mentioned to, to give you that real-time data. Because I'm sure Brad's aware, with someone moving around a store, the real-time nature of the data that you need to be able to add value to that client and to you get the data you need, yeah, it needs those sort of metrics in terms of high bandwidth and low latency. Can I just ask a question about Australia, where it sits globally? And Brad, at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about sort of Amazon coming into Australia. And I think a lot of people looked with great interest at how that kind of expectation on delivery times could come to fruition here, given the nature of how we are populated as a country, which don't have the density as other markets. Obviously, a lot of ground's been made, but Australian retail in the context of global retail and, and where we're really good and where there's an opportunity, what are we looking at now in terms of how we really can excel here, given we do have quite a specific spread of people? Yeah, the distribution is obviously one of our key challenges, which isn't prevalent everywhere globally, but it's definitely one of the things that probably does, if you like, 
I wouldn't, it's a challenge, but, and it's kind of protected retail in Australia somewhat from some of the international competitors, because to come in fresh, you've got to figure out number one, how do you get products to customers? What we went down the path of is distributing from stores. We obviously have a really big store network. It's one of the biggest in Australia. So for us, distributing from stores is, it kind of makes sense because it's got less travel time from where the product is to the customer. What came with that was a real challenge around inventory management and real-time inventory management. So you can imagine if you're online and you're like, yep, I want these pair of shoes. And then we go and try and fulfill that order from a store. We need to know exactly how many pairs of shoes are on that shelf because if there's only one and somebody walks out with it, well, we've got a problem then. This is where we've started to really look at things like RFID tagging, having automatic scanning of our stock as a regular cadence throughout the day. And this is the recent announcement we did with robotics called Tori and introducing some of those robots that wander around the stores and actually take stock counts through this RFID tagging technology. That's really going to help us understand exactly what we have on the shelf in a much more accurate way. And that really powers some of this online fulfillment that we're talking about. But again, tying it back to some of the challenges, the internet connectivity and the fact that we're putting all this technology into the stores just further exacerbates the fact that if we don't have really good network coverage, then essentially really hampers our digitization and some of the the technology that we're trying to put in. So we're really looking at how do we ramp that up? Obviously, things like the MBN have been advantageous in a world where 5G is really well covered. That's where we can use the edge computing more powerfully. We can really beef up some of the things that we're trying to do and kind of digitize our stores, if you like. We see that as a massive opportunity. And that's where those contextual collaborative experiences are going to come into it. We see our store network as an advantage that complements our online experience and really trying to marry those two together. I think that's a good way of looking at the micro and the macro together. Like you need the robust network to make sure that you can have that insight. So when someone wants those shoes that says online that are there, they are there because then that goes to that trust. So it's a really interesting example. So is that, Matt, just from a a perspective of the sorts of things that Brad's talking about in terms of solving those challenges when you have the advantage of having lots of stores and you've got that geographic spread, but then you've got that kind of inventory management piece, which is all about data. Is that what you're seeing across the sector? Yeah, look, you could argue it's not just in retail as well. It goes across a lot of industries. And I know there's been in 2020, and certainly it seems to be continuing in 2021, I know one of the challenges that retail and other industries are facing is the shipping industry being put into chaos last year by COVID. And I could imagine, Brad, a lot of the products that came out and Target seller bought it, right? And talking to a lot of businesses, there's been huge delays of shipping and problems getting containers on ships a great disproportionate trend in terms of where containers are being left because there's a lot of stock coming out of China, but not as much stuff going back to China. So all sorts of problems. And just having that, as Brad mentioned, the insight into the production and then the the distribution of of, of the products, you you need to be across all of it and to know exactly when your next shipment's coming in when when you're out of stock and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's a huge challenge. And I, I think it's a it's an actual big opportunity for the bricks and mortar retailers to really excel because, you know, Brad mentioned the, the advantage they've got on, on the distribution side is the, the actual bricks and mortar, whereas the online players don't have that. Amazon come to Australia, I mean, all their distribution centres are in the, you know, in the major cities or some of the major cities, you know, whereas the bricks and mortar retailers have actually got presence in, in all the areas where they don't. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting and 
I think there's always good things that come out of sort of global events like what happened last year. And I think this is sort of forcing a lot of businesses to, to rethink and ultimately provide a better outcome for their customers. I'm going to finish on this, and it's a question I like to bring in in all of these interviews is when you talk about the future and what that opportunity looks like, what does the people part look like? What are the change in skills that you need given there's a huge change, transformation, the goalposts have moved, the expectations have moved? Brad, when you look at your broader team, what is it that people really need to be thinking about if they are resourcing to get the technology fit with what customers need? How are we rethinking this? Yeah, we have a couple of global presences in terms of actual technology teams, which has been helpful. But what's interesting is it's been kind of global-wide because people actually can't move around and travel. And if you like the lockdown that, that we're experiencing across the world, what it's kind of translated into is much less access to technical resources and skill sets, especially within the data, the cloud and the digital space, they're kind of the hot skills. And if you think about what's happening, that's what everybody's investing in at the moment. So we're kind of on this extremely competitive minefield at the moment around trying to figure out how we do the types of things that we need to do and get the people attracted when everybody's doing the same thing. And the fact is that resources geographically can't move around as easy as we kind of need them to. So We've had to think a little bit differently in two spaces. Firstly, you know, can we allow people to work wherever they need to work and, and figure out some remote working situations rather than trying to just tap into the local markets? So that's been one. But the other thing is it really highlighted that we probably need to more vigorously invest in upskilling people. So create the market rather than just tap into the market. So we've started a, a really intensive staff development program where we're actually trying to bring in junior skills and invest in them and coach them up and train them in the skills that we need. I guess, again, this has been quite advantageous for us because we do have quite a young workforce that work within our store network. So what we're able to do is tap into some of that and actually offer some of these people new opportunities in the technology industry, kind of investing and fostering some of the skills that we require. I love that idea. You have all those uni students who are thinking, oh, maybe I could pursue data science. Exactly. I, I think that is brilliant because it is that war for talent is critical. Matt, what are you seeing? Um, yeah, look, certainly a big shift. The shift to cloud was well and truly on before 2020, but 2020 just at X times that it, it expected the, the uptake of cloud and the trend's been there, but um, certainly ramifications combined with Brad's point around the freedom of labour and the ability to be able to sort of bring people here or move people around the world is now no longer an option in many cases. And certainly we as a global company, Verizon, we've seen that as well. So I think the challenge to do sort of more with a limited skill base is is there for, for many organisations. And the old option of bringing in people on sort of skilled immigration type arrangements is, is limited now. So what we've seen is in terms of the skills needed, yeah, you mentioned data science, that's certainly a hot spot on demand. But I think also the, the nature in which the new technology is managed, there's very much a, a co-management approach to that, where 10 years ago, it was all about outsourcing everything and having a single partner that would just do the whole thing. What we see now is businesses need more agility and the ability for many of the service providers to meet that agility can be challenging. And so in many cases, they're saying, look, we want to manage this part where we need to change something in 10 minutes. We want to be able to do that. These are more structural, longer-term, sort of network-driven or sort of more complex-type operations. They'll sort of look for their service provider to do that. So there's a sort of a, 
a shift away from the outsource everything model and a sort of a, a multi-source partial outsource type approach now that I'm seeing a lot with many clients. Thank you to, to both of you. Brad Blythe, the Chief Information Officer at Kmart and Matt Wells, Global Solutions Strategy at Verizon. I've really enjoyed this chat. I'm going to walk into one of those stores in the future and look from a much broader perspective about what's going on in the background to make sure that everything's available and ticking over. It really does shed a lot of light of what's required to keep these operations ticking and meeting expectations. So thanks to both of you for joining us. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, Corey. We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com.